And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PR with this old marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, my friends. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 247, PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded on Thursday, October 15th, 2020. And with me, my good friend, my colleague, and a guy who's never attracted flies to his head, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? What was up with the, I mean, the number of fly memes and how quickly people ran with that? It's pretty unbelievable. Did you watch I, it? Did you watch? It's the, the talent of the internet. That's when the internet is really on its game. Did you watch is, the uh, debate? I I watched part of it. I I have very low tolerance for that yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's but, hard um, to watch. It really is, especially when nobody answers anything. It's like, come on. Yeah, I mean, right. It's just you know, I mean, it's it, it's either a screaming match like the first one was, or it's just a lot of heavy sighing and saying, well, I know that's the question you ask, but here's what I want to say, right? You know, so, yeah, I just, I, I have very low patience for it um, at all. But I did watch a little bit of it. Well, the, so this will be the, as we record this on Thursday, I believe tonight you have Biden Competing and, town halls. Yeah, competing yeah. town halls. Yeah. That's probably the best debate. If you can put them picture in picture, I wonder if you could set it up. It'd probably be better than the first one. Just run them both it, it, at the well, same will, time. It will certainly be less yelling. I'm I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. So there's yeah. Before we get started, there's just a couple things that we have to get back to. The first is I have to now. I do have to uh, oh, apologize God. a little bit because just, what happened to your quarterback Dak Prescott last week is just horrific. Yeah, it's so I awful. have to mention that and send my condolences. Don't watch the video replay. And I hope, and of course, everybody knows that watches football, is that uh, your quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys uh, did not sign a long-term deal and was on a one-year deal. Yeah. And that's horrific. But the week before (laughs) that, we had a little wager. And if I remember correctly. You you do remember correctly. And said wager was paid. Said wager was paid. Thank thank you very much. There were a lot. uh, There were a few people that wanted you to wear an official NFL jersey. You know what? I mean, if you can find one, you know, send it to me. But, you know, if you go on Amazon or go online. Any thrift store, my friend. Any trying to find. Have you ever been into a thrift store? Do you have you? I have. I have been into a thrift store. But in Los Angeles, you will not find them. You will not find a Cleveland Browns jersey in a thrift store. Largest Browns backer organization is in Los Angeles, in in the world. You can't find it on Amazon, much less a thrift store. I mean, they just don't exist. For those of you that did not watch the game, (laughs) we were up by, the Cleveland Browns were up by, I believe it was 31 or 28 points, something like that, in the fourth quarter and almost blew it. Uh, And, and... As I was watching it, I was just wondering how they were going to blow. And actually, I was thankful that you gave me four and a half points because I'm like, <laughs> I think it was it would have been awfully close. But <laughs> OBJ scored the touchdown, a timely yep. interception, and here we are. Yep. And the good news is, you know, the Browns are four and one, which hasn't happened since 1994. And even your Cowboys with the injury, and you've got the the red redheaded wonder. That's going to be back there, quarterback. For Andy you. Dalton. Yep, you're still in first place. I know, I know. Here we go. Right. I mean, it's a it's a very weird season. I mean, I mean, it's 2020. It's the most 2020 thing ever for sure. And uh, yeah, I mean, look. Here's here's the here's the truth is, if the Browns can beat Pittsburgh this coming weekend, they're legit. I mean, they're legit contenders. You know, because. The Browns are good. Browns I mean, are good, that's, that's, and and the yeah. Browns are good. They're they're better than average. Steelers are a really really good all around team. So if if we were if we're competitive with them, and it's it's hard because we were terrible the first week against the Ra- against the Ravens, but I think we're a different team now. Yeah, uh, the Browns were. So yeah, well, well, you got it together. Yeah, you got you guys got it together. So it is. I gotta say, you know, I I, I mean, I love I love seeing all those crazy fans in Pittsburgh, sort of. But it's going to be easier for Cleveland to go into Pittsburgh 
without all those fans. I don't know whether we're going to let in 10,000 or something. So, yeah, yeah. We will but, see. Who does Dallas play yes. this week? Uh, we uh, are playing um, the Cardinals. I should so. win that. Eh, well, we'll see. I mean, I you know, it's hit or miss. As as you know what I mean. It's just all bets are off the table now. There's just Andy no, Dalton there's no was telling. Andy Dalton was never terrible with Cincinnati. No, no, he's great. He's he was a good quarterback. All, great backup. Great, great pickup. So yeah. I mean, you know, good. Yeah. So there we go. So that yeah. that, that and that, so here's the go ahead. Here's the here's the, here's the here's the saving grace that also happened this week is that uh, the Los Angeles Lakers are now world champs again. So there you go. So is LeBron James the goat? I think so. I, I you know I I, I think he's uh, you know I think he's legitimately taken that that title. It's it's away you know everybody talks about Michael Jordan. Jordan. No, I've no yeah. you and I have both lived through. Michael Jordan and LeBron James. A lot of the kids out there have never seen Michael Jordan play. I watched, you know, I remember Michael Jordan's rookie season. So I've lived through both. Yeah. Now he was six and oh, you know, and lost two years in his prime going to baseball, that whole thing. But I've never seen an athlete on the basketball court like LeBron James. And he will go down, I believe, you know. Gets three years more in the league. He'll he'll be the number one scorer of all time. He will also be top five in assists. He'll be top five in steals. And he's gone to what is it? Ten finals. Ten. Yeah. The knock I mean, against him is that he's only won four of those, but with three different teams. Yeah, that's right. You know, I mean, he's he's. He's got a long way to go on the scoring thing to pass folks like Kareem, but but not very long. Uh, three years, three years at this level, he'll get him. He's he's he thir- might he he's might. still in. Okay, I know that he could get to it. He's thirty six. He could get to an age that it it just quickly <clears throat> falls off the cliff, like <clears throat> Tom Brady. But no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, my. Sorry, but uh, no, wait, Boston fans don't care anymore. Yeah, no, he's gone. no, it's all the it's Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay. Yeah. But he'll, he'll get that. I think the issue, if you look at the 10 finals that LeBron, oh, sorry, for everyone listening, yes, we'll get into marketing in a second. We're getting, but, <laughs> we are. So hang we are gonna get There's there. a lot of good stuff coming. But if you look at the 10 finals, he has always performed amazing in those finals. And I remember the first year he went to the finals with the Cleveland Cavaliers, his first time around. He was pretty much the only person on that team. They lost 4-0 to San Antonio, and LeBron carried them there. So are you going you're gonna take that loss and put it as a negative to LeBron because he carried a team that had no business being in the finals? Anyways, that's yeah. why. I'm a LeBron <clears throat> fan, even though. Oh no, no, LeBron loves. is amazing. I'm definitely a LeBron fan. I, I, you know, it's uh, and and to me, it doesn't matter if he passed Kareem or not. He's still the greatest of all. He time, could, yeah, he he probably yeah. could. Although, yeah, and then who knows, right? Do you do you have you have to put Bill Russell on that list? You have to oh, put Will Chamberlain. These were these were people that changed Oscar Robertson. Yeah, I mean, changed the game. Um. So, anyways. That's where we are. So congratulations to the Los Angeles yeah, Lakers. there you go. Yeah. And uh, you're welcome uh, because, you know, it's from the Northeast <laughs> Ohio. You. And that's, yes. you know, you won because you had LeBron. So although Anthony that's Davis right. is, is no slouch either. Yes. And uh, and there we go. And then uh, I guess we have to talk about some marketing here. And, and yeah. you just well, you as we your speak, hands full for content marketing world. I was just about to say, as we speak, we're the wrap you know the wrap up of content marketing world 2020 is happening literally as we chat and um it's been a it's been a great week um to watch all the keynotes to watch all the sessions and um any you know any uh any any overall takeaways for for you well the first uh, your your keynote was amazing your keynote well was i've had to follow you which was difficult because <laughs> you did a fantastic job uh but yeah i had fun with mine I did uh, a John Oliver type thing. It was about a 30-minute speech of me in front of an orange news desk. I talked about 
diversification in the COVID-19 age and uh, had, had a little bit of fun with it. So that was good. And um, I guess my first thing is, my first thought is every time this comes, you know, content marketing world time comes along, I just want to send big shout out and love to the entire Content Marketing Institute team that put it together. Oh, yeah. It is a I labor mean, of love. And it, I mean, the execution of it is near flawless. I mean, the platform was great. Of course, we wanted to all be in Cleveland together in person for the 10th anniversary. But amazing job for you and, <clears throat> and everyone else. Just hats off to you. For, yeah. For, I mean, I, I mean, I only had to do a 30-minute keynote. I mean, you, you had... <laughs> You were, you had a lot of airtime, brother. I mean, yeah, well, yeah. There was a lot of videos to create. There's, there's no doubt about that. Um, it, it is a labor of love, you know. I mean, in fact, you know, my weekly letter that I write every, every, well, we every week. Um, this week talks. I, mean, I, I talk a little bit about that, which is, um, you know, the the title of it is when you can't do what you want, you do what you can, and basically it speaks to. Um, you know, that great quote from, uh, from John Lennon, where he, uh, it's from, it's from, uh, the song beautiful boy actually, where it, he says, life is what happens to you while you're busy making other plans. And, you know, this, you know, the, I made a joke in my opening speech about, you know, us taking the 10th anniversary of content marketing world and making it this big virtual event. And all of a sudden, you know, and of course that's a joke, you know, we, that was of course, great had, though. The way you positioned that was pretty <clears throat> Yeah, we had so of course we had huge plans for the physical event and and all the things we were going to do in Cleveland this year and everything and of course all of those went, you know, completely up in the air with COVID. And so you know, it was truly a magical thing that this team put together to say how do we push the envelope and actually do something worthy of the 10-year anniversary and do it in what was obviously suboptimal conditions, right? Everybody working from home, nobody can travel, nobody can go to the studio, everybody has to do their keynotes from home, we have to do things online, you know, and, and you know, and people are unavailable, and, and it's just all of those, you know, sort of challenge after challenge after challenge, and it it came together, and I, you know, it's, it's due in all part, not even, not even a long part, but all part to the amazing work that that CMI team does. Cause they're, they're just amazing. The best getting a little teary. Got to tell you. Yeah. 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 They're, they're, they're the best and they're, they're wonderful human beings uh, as well. And, oh, I don't know about that. Well, I think they're all well, pretty. There's yeah, a couple, yeah. there's a couple that listen to this that <laughs> probably shouldn't be included in that, but that's okay. We're, we're gonna, we're not going to hold that against them. Um, so what I'll give you, I'll give you one of my takeaways and I'd love to hear yours because okay, yeah. you were so involved in this, but yeah, uh, I, first of all, <laughs> Andrew Davis does a keynote. He did an hour keynote that might be the future of how virtual keynotes are done. I don't know how many locations he had for that set up, but it was tremendous in the production value. I should ask him how long it took him to put all that together. Some was live, some was pre-recorded. Oh, just crazy. But the, the, the long and short of it was, he says, what did he call it? Expertville? He says yeah. there're too many experts in Expertville. So he talked he talked about how everybody that he meets in content marketing world every year is an expert in something. And right. we, we talk about this whole need to be the expert in our industry niche and yet everyone's already an expert. So if you go to Expertville, it's very crowded. It's very tough yes. to stand out. That's and, right. And he talked about okay, we need to go to what he called it, visionary town. Right, <laughs> and he said, "Oh, how do you go?" So he says, "Okay, we need to go to Visionary Town. Not not a lot of people in Visionary Town. Much easier to stand out in Visionary Town. How do you use? How do you get to Visionary Town?" And he says, "You have to go through the crossroads. And to go through the crossroads, you have to ask a question that Google cannot answer." I lo- say, I love that. That's that's the key. That's everything, right? I'm gonna say that again because it's so important. I wrote it down yep. multiple times. Yeah. Ask a question that Google cannot answer. Yeah. So that's where you where you think about all the people searching, how do I do this? 
how what are the best practices for that whatever there's somebody that some expert that has an answer for that but so he used really good case study because i talked about i talk about this in the 2015 version of content inc and i'm writing about it now for the 2021 version uh jenny doan who started missouri quick quilting uh missouri star quilting company in hamilton missouri and Basically, the question she has, she was told that in, in order to make a quilt, a quilt takes nine months. Like, I don't know, but this is what Andrew talked about. Quilt takes nine months. Well, Jenny asked, why does it take nine months to, to make a quilt, to sew a quilt? And so she went on this journey to figure out, well, let's, how do we make one in a day? And she started putting it on YouTube. And now the, they make over $150 million a year. She's the largest employer of people in Hamilton, Missouri. It's like the Disneyland right. of snowing. <laughs> Hamilton, Missouri. Of quick quilting in Hamilton, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Missouri. People come from yeah. all over the world to see her, and they buy all her pre-cut patterns and everything. And she has, I think it's 350,000 or something subscribers on YouTube. It's amazing. Great case study. Yep. But that's that's where we need to go. So I think when we're all struggling, is what are we going to say? How do we really get attention and then keep attention and build our subscriber base? It's ask a question Google cannot answer. Is just brilliant. So that was my big big takeaway, which really is 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 personal to me because I'm trying to figure this out as well. I mean, I'm working on the next edition of content inc i'm trying to you know what's missing in the industry asking those questions so that that's was that was very helpful to me so yeah how about yeah. you sir you know i here i'll a, a couple of things um i think the the overall uh takeaway is the the one thing i really appreciated this year was the diversity of voices um, and what I mean by that is, you know, sort of, I, I, I completely agree with what Andrew is saying, right? Even at content marketing world, um, and the, you know, the, the, you know, you see the same people over and over again, right? The same people on stage, the same people in sessions saying ostensibly the same thing each year, right? Answering Google questions, right? And, and, and very well and very smartly and great advice and great tips, et cetera. And what I took away this year was that because of the format, we were able to surface people who would probably not have gotten the attention and audience that they would have normally, that, that would have normally happened. Right. And I, I learned a lot from those people actually, because those are people, real people who are doing real things in the real world and really having to get things done. And many of them, quite frankly, were bringing a lot of new ideas to the table. And, and so we saw a lot of new keynotes. We saw a lot of new sessions. We saw a lot of different topics because of the way that it had, you know, stuff had to get delivered. Um, and you just saw it through a different lens. And I, I, I really appreciated that sort of, you know, it, it just, the event, from a content perspective, looked different than it than it had in um, in, in many years, um, and so I, I I appreciated that very much, and I also appreciated um, which actually happened today Thursday my uh, discussion with W Kamau Bell, um, who was charming and lovely and wonderful and just a, a great um, a great interview, and it was it was really fun to talk with him, um, you know, uh, quite frankly not about um, racism and not about, you know, which is he's so famous for, for talking about, but we actually had a wonderful chat about creativity and his process and how he actually, you know, thinks about creating a television series versus a stand-up set versus a, um, you know, music versus poetry versus all, you know, all the different content he creates and how he goes about creating it. And it was just a, it was a wonderful discussion. Oh, it's, you know, those are the, it's amazing, you know. We're all upset and frustrated that we couldn't get together in person. Yeah, but I was able, and still, I mean, I can still watch a lot of these things. I, I never had the time to go see a lot of these people speak. Right. Exactly. And it just you know, you get in the hallway and you start getting into conversations, or you and I are doing interviews or taking meetings or whatever, and that's just what. I, I was able to just sit here, and this is the first time I've just, I just sat and watched the keynotes. 
Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> it was it was kind of refreshing and to see everyone's take on on kind of the new marketing as we as we battle through whatever the new normal is. Right. Is is kind of interesting and, and, and also some of our ongoing challenges. And you mentioned this in yours where you know what we we need to do better. I remember you, you said this years ago where I think you were talking about accounting. And you said, you know, when you become an accountant, you, you know, you have a particular education path and experience path to get there. And then you get a degree and a certificate and you have ongoing training and you're an accountant. Right. And you said, there's nothing like that for content marketing. No, <laughs> right. In fact, there is no career ladder. There is no, you know, when you're in a, when you're in a business today, you, you know, you, you're a content marketing person you know, your career path to CMO or VP or wherever is, oh, get out of content marketing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like, you kind of hit the wall. Yeah. Or you could and, say, you could basically, in, in a corporate environment, you either move to another department, another area, right. or you start your right. own thing. That's really that's right. the two options and, you have. And that, that is my challenge. So I have two challenges, right? One is for businesses. Because if businesses don't sort this out, they're going to lose talent, right? And that because that's what's happening today is that content marketers hit that ceiling and they go elsewhere, they leave, um, you know, because there is no career path for them. Um, you know, I can't tell you how many people at content marketing world, you know, when we're when we're actually together, and I've watched it happen over the last ten years, come up to me and say, "Oh my gosh, I'm I'm in it." You know, I've watched careers grow. But I haven't watched a lot of careers grow at the same company. Inevitably, somebody comes up to me in the hallway at Content Marketing World and says, oh, my gosh, this year I'm at this company and I'm, you know, and I'm a manager. And then two years later, they come up to me and they go, oh, my gosh, this year I'm director, senior director at this company. And then the next year they come up and they go, oh, I'm kind of out of content marketing now. I'm a VP you know, but so I'm a VP of marketing, but I still have to come here because this is my community. And it's yeah. like, you know what I mean? They, 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 they have left sort of their heart of the practice in order to sort of ladder up to a, to a leadership role. And I'm just hopeful that businesses can start to create a laddering for the content as a strategic function. And part of that's on us, quite frankly, to start to architect those things so that businesses can, can, um, you know, can use them as tools. And then on the, on, on the other side, for those that are in content marketing and came to it from digital or journalism or, you know, brand or, you know, digital natives or wherever you came from, cause you know, you didn't actually go to school to learn this. Um, you know, the, the key is, where can you start to expand content marketing's remit in terms of what it looks after, you know, from a strategic, from a financial, from a, uh, you know, demand, from a, you know, start expanding the definition of what content marketing solves for businesses so that you can actually legitimize it as a strategic function in the business and, and one that's deserving of, you know, a senior director title, a VP title, and a C-suite title. Well, maybe it's, I don't know if this is playing devil's advocate, but maybe the career path is that the most innovative companies in the world have an audience first approach so that whatever titles they have in the marketing department are in essence, content marketing titles because that is the overall strategy of the organization. Maybe so. Yeah. I mean, you know, we've, you and I have talked before about how content marketing as a, you know, as a, uh, you know, sort of niche might just fold up into the broader idea. You know, in other words, the function stays, but the name of it goes away. Um, and, and that's fine. But what, you know, what you don't want to have happen is where the form goes away and is dead ended. Thus the, the, you know, the, the actual practice of it also fades away, you know, which, which would be sad. Yeah, well, yeah, it would be it would be not good. Is what <laughs> it that would be. It would not be good. Not yeah. optimal yes. situation for the world. Yes, but uh, but yeah. So good we, stuff. Yeah, a lot, a lot of stuff. A lot of mountains left to climb, but uh, but overall, great event. And um, hopefully next year we can all We're see each other in, in person. Yeah, yes, exactly. That, that would be 
something. Exactly. Well, we did have some news this week. Was there news? To talk about. There was, oh. absolutely. I mean, it's not all centered on us. I mean, as much as we hate to admit it, the world does not revolve around We Joe make and the news, sir. <laughs> we, we, we are the news. We are the news. Yes. We are did, the news. What did, no. you, what did you find well, in all your spare time you know, this week? Uh, yes, exactly. Well, there's, there is some interesting, I mean, this, you know, for any long-term listener of the show, they will they will recognize immediately probably where we're going with this conversation. But the headline that we'll uh, have for our wonderful theme-setting news item this week is from uh, CNBC. Uh, and the headline is, Disney says its primary focus for entertainment is streaming and announces a major reorganization as part of that. Uh, the article opens up by saying, Disney is restructuring its media and entertainment divisions as streaming becomes the most important facet of the company's media business. On Monday, that would be this Monday, the company revealed that in order to further accelerate its direct-to-consumer strategy, it would be centralizing its media business into a single organization that will be responsible for content distribution, ad sales, and Disney+. Plus. Shares of the company jumped more than 5% during after-hours trading following the announcement. The move by Disney comes as the global coronavirus pandemic has crippled its theatrical business and ushered more customers toward its streaming options. As of August, Disney had 100 million paid subscribers across its streaming offerings, more than half of whom are subscribers to Disney+. Plus. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Um, CEO Bob Chapek said, I would not characterize this as a response to COVID. Uh, I would say that COVID accelerated the rate at which we've made this transition, but the transition was going to happen anyway. What say you, mister, uh, to this to this announcement from our friends at Disney? Well, the first thing I would say is Apple missed out on a amazing <laughs> opportunity <laughs> by not purchasing Disney when they had the, the chance. And now that you see, you know, we've you and I have argued about this for seven years, years. now, eight years yes, yes. on yes. this show, that I always thought that Apple should buy Disney. And now you see why it never seemed to fit, but now you see why, because Apple wants to be the streaming leader, just like Amazon does, just like Google does, just like, you know, all of them with all their streaming platforms. But here it is that the Disney is becoming, if not, you know, they're, they're, they're the clear number two to Netflix right now. Absolutely. With, with the com combination of Disney, Hulu and ESPN plus Disney plus Hulu and ESPN plus. That's With right. the hundred million, that's unbelievable. That's only going to grow, and it's interesting when the CEO talks about the acceleration. I don't know if you knew this, but I talked about this in my my keynote that theme park business is down over eighty five percent this year, and of course, at the same time, the theatrical business is almost non existent. I don't know if you saw the 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 CEO of AMC Theater chain came out this week. Did you see yep. the? Yep. Basically, they they don't know if they have enough cash to make it through the year. Regal Cinemas already declared bankruptcy. This is that business is just which which I don't know if you saw this, this is totally off the um, on the other end of this when you talk about AMC. But somebody floated that Netflix should and may buy AMC so that people can watch Netflix movies in a theater if they wish to. Um, we'll see. I don't know, but just I don't think, I, there's no reason for them to do that. You know, that's the thing. There's there's there, no, there is a reason. You want to know the reason is because AMC has a number of distribution deals locked up with the different well, providers. Okay. And Netflix could then Fair leverage those yeah. same agreements onto their own platform. At the same time, having a different kind of content experience. Maybe, with uh, you know, I, I think, I think you'd see, I think you'd see those deals get renegotiated real fast if that acquisition happened. I yeah, mean, but I if you're, yes, maybe. But right now those deals are in place. And the second thing is Netflix is a pretty big deal. So <laughs> yeah, they I've are heard. coming, yes, if they're I've coming heard. to the table and they're offering more distribution opportunities and more revenue because of it. Because, I mean, look, let's look at, let's look at Mulan release, right? I mean, we had a really great outdoor watching experience with a bunch of different kids watching Mulan. We paid twenty nine ninety nine or whatever to watch it on the first day, and we don't know what those results were because you can't you don't get access to that anymore because they're not going through the theater chains. 
I'm under the assumption that they it would never it does not do as well from a revenue standpoint as it does. I mean, you know, it would have been a multi, you know, a billion dollar plus take worldwide, I would have imagined. But if they're if they're distributing it through their own streaming network, even if it's a lower amount of people that could possibly watch it, they may be more profitable. Possibly. <laughs> Yes, I think it. I think it is possible, and I think what would need to happen. So here's here's uh, what you're talking about is really intriguing, right? Because if and Disney could do this too, by the way. You know, this isn't just a Netflix gambit, but uh, Disney could actually do this as well by AMC or or one of the theatrical change. Yes, and upgrade the technology so that you know because one of the major costs, of course, is that most of those. Um, most of those theaters are still using, you know, prints and projectors and, you know, that's, you know, that's their, that's, they have major costs there, right? And so, you know, the idea of moving completely digital um, and basically projecting up on a, you know, on the 45 foot screen is, you know, pulls out most of the costs. So the only thing they've got left is real estate costs and employee costs to, to man that. If they could figure out a way to re- repurpose, which I've always thought was the opportunity for theaters, was to repurpose into other functions as well, right? Not just be a movie theater, but to be, you know, a concert venue, to be, you know, um, uh, you know, a, a kids' nightclub, you know, whatever Cor- corporate you know. events. Exactly right. You know, which they do, of, by the way. It's just some yeah. do. V- very few. Very, very, very few do. Um, but you know, some local theaters are like that, right? You know, so especially in more rural areas, have have been able to do that. But you know, certainly, you know, the, the, your 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 average sixteen plex, you know, in the mall is not repurposing itself for corporate events very often, um, and it could totally do that. Um, but I think, you know, I, I think it's an intri- it is an intriguing idea to, to do that. But I think overall, I think what we're seeing is, is an acceleration of the death of the movie theater. People just aren't, you know, they're not doing it anymore. They're just not going. Well, they're not, they're not going because there's a freaking pandemic. That's why they're not going. They're I mean, not before go- the pandemic. Right. We, uh, Pam and I would go to Tuesday movies, $5 Tuesdays at AMC and it was always packed. Now here's the. No, okay, I got two things to add. Because one, I yeah. disagree with you on the... I don't think they need additional revenue uh, options and they need to repurpose what they need. The The biggest cost for an AMC, a Regal, or any of them is because they have to give 90% of the ticket revenues back to the studios. Right. As soon as you take that out. So let's say that Netflix goes ahead and buys AMC. That cost, if if you're just showing the latest Adam Sandler movie, whatever Hubie Halloween or whatever that's going on that they paid money for, <laughs> and you're showing that in the theater, you know what? Netflix gets a hundred percent of that because they already paid for the content. So that you take that out, you've made AMC so much more profitable, and people are still going to pay ten dollars for a bucket of popcorn. So I think that's a real opportunity. The second thing that I would say is that because the streaming wars are now so competitive with Disney and Amazon and Apple and you know you got Roku in the mix doing their free stuff you got all kinds of the the demand for high quality content especially at a time when it's tough to get it there's not a lot and it's still in production right now is it's insatiable so there are a lot, there's opportunities for anyone listening to this that you could create some amazing episodic content and those, those companies are going to fight over it and you have an opportunity there. So I don't think that's going away for quite a while until yeah. there's some more consolidation. And I don't know what the, the leading streaming players are ultimately going to be, whether it's whether you got NBC in the mix and you've got CBS all out. Oh, they're all, yeah, they're all, I mean, down. it's, I mean, it's HBO, basically, they're, they yeah, all got their it's, own it's the way yeah. cable went, right? It went from a that's couple right. cables channels and then you had a thousand, well, you've got a thousand over-the-top options right now, and then that's going to come back into networks, which you're seeing with Disney, Disney, Hulu, ESPN. Yeah, bundles, if you will. Bundles. Yep. Yeah. Yep. They'll bundle in apps. Yeah. So, I don't know if anything had to do with content marketing there, but it's super interesting. <laughs> it's very interesting. Yeah. No, you make a strong argument. I, I, I'm, 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 I'm coming along on this. So I think it's a, 
It's very interesting for sure. You make really good point. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell I, you what, I, if there was no occasionally do, but you know, today you make a good point. Yeah. I mean, if there was no pandemic, I'd still be going to my Tuesday movies. Just, yeah, I want to go back. I love the po- AMC popcorn is fantastic. I've gone into <laughs> AMC and overpaid for just that popcorn and left folks. Just so you know, it's a thing. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> Very nice. All right. Let's talk about our next story here, uh, which we're going to pair together two things, two stories, uh, because they all sort of wrap together into uh, this idea of what's going on in social media right now. Um, So Yelp, the first one comes to us, by the way, courtesy of Search Engine Land, the article does. And the headline is about Yelp. uh, And it says it's introduced a new business. Um, and which has been accused of racist, uh, well, well, basically a business accused of racist behavior uh, alert. Um, Yelp announced two initiatives designed to fight racism and promote diversity and inclusion among local businesses. The company expanded a relationship with nonprofit consortium Open to All to make training resources available for small and medium-sized businesses to up-level their diversity and inclusion practices. The other initiative, which could be uh, much more controversial, Yelp said it will place a new category of consumer alerts on profile pages of local businesses that are accused of discrimination or racist behavior. It goes down to explain what the label and the sort of badge is going to look like, um, and then does bring up some concerns about where there may be sort of ambiguity there, um, you know, sort of, uh, you know, implied business names that are sort of have either double entendre or any or somebody putting up a you know political sign in their window does that indicate um, where they you know where they may get some trouble? We're going to pair that with this um, uh, article from Business Insider, which talks about Facebook. And apparently, uh, according to this article, Facebook ranks dead last in digital trust among consumers. When it comes to protecting users' personal information and providing a safe online environment, social network users in the U.S. give lower marks to Facebook, TikTok, and Twitter, according to Insider Intelligence Annual U.S. Digital Trust Survey. LinkedIn is the most trusted social platform, and we define digital trust in this case as the confidence users have in the social media platform to protect their information and provide a safe environment for them to create and engage with content. So those two together... Uh, I would love to get your take on Mr. Polizzi because I, I mean, I definitely, I mean, this is, I've, I've been spending a lot of time here in our client work um, and would love to hear what you think about this well, first. I'll, let's talk about the, the Facebook ranking last in digital yeah. trust among consumers first. And then I do, okay, ha- sure. I do yeah. want to talk about Yelp as well. The, the thing I would say to Facebook ranking last is surprise, surprise, surprise. <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding me? Of course it does. The the amount of misinformation on that platform is egregious. And uh, they need they <laughs> needed to do something about it five years ago, which they really haven't. Now they 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 put these little warnings and things like that, but they, it always happens too late. And ads just seem to always get through that that put out false information. It's it's um and of course did you watch the social dilemma? On Netflix, I did. I, I did watch it, and I and I was going to bring it up to chat with you about yeah go ahead i I have basically i have a take on it give me me your take on that one because this falls right into it where yes if if facebook is the least trustworthy but really because of the way that algorithms work they're really none of them should be trustworthy i mean you shouldn't have any trust in a social media platform should you no we we are untrustworthy but that's that's the the algorithm is only built to optimize engagement that's right it's not built to sow distrust. It's built to optimize engagement with more content. So if we were up there, if everybody on Facebook tomorrow, and th- this is what I've been saying to like my, you know, my parents and people who are, you know, uh, asking what my take is on the social dilemma, is it's it, it has nothing to do with Facebook. It has everything to do with us and our behavior. And and so if tomorrow everybody decided. No more politics on Facebook. No more news on Facebook. The only thing we're going to do is trade pictures of cute puppies and kittens. That's it. You're allowed to you're allowed to put up pictures of your kids, pictures of kittens, or pictures of puppies. The algorithm would still be optimizing. 
it would optimize to the cutest puppies or yep. to whatever whatever we started to click on and it would keep us engaged. So we, you know, it's that classic, you know, idea of, you know, you're in traffic and you go, God, I hate traffic jams. No, you are the traffic jam. You, you, you know, you are the, we are the problem. And so the, the, you know, when I hear that they're, you know, the, the, the sort of, uh, the, when the executives that are, that are, that are now sort of have left the company and saying, oh, it's a tragedy and all that kind of stuff and blah, blah, blah. I take it a little bit, you know, with a tongue in cheek, right? Because, you know, they did create a Frankenstein. There's no doubt about it. We, we, as a public, we, as a, as a, as a, as a consumer, were never trained on how to do this. And psychologically, we have this need to be heard. You know, it, it always baffles me a little bit when, you know, there's, you know, when I see some posts about news, especially on my Facebook feed, and I go, why did you feel like you needed to tell me that? In other words, is it because you think I'll miss it? Or is it because you wanted to have the credit for bringing it to the public? Or you're so passionate about it that you feel like you have to express your point of view on that? One of those things is true. And I'll assume for the benefit of the doubt that it's the last one, right? That, that, that when that, those news items get posted, for the most part, it's not because they want likes and engagement and, you know, which is totally, um, you know, the, the, the narcissist way of looking at it, um, but rather because they're so passionate about it that they felt like they just had to say something. And then we have to ask ourselves, why? Why? Why are we doing this? And in many in many cases i think what we what what we have to come to the conclusion to is when we when we are sowing all of these distrustful things the conspiracy theories and the things that are out there that are not true and you know they in the social dilemma they talk about how it's completely upended governments in some countries you know where it's 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 truly become a, a real issue i think we have to examine truly our own behavior here and 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 really think about how we how we interact with not only Facebook but really digital media full stop. And so yeah, that's my, well, my take yeah, on it yeah, is yes. Is that yes, it's face it's Facebook's yeah. fault. But what would happen if we said to Facebook tomorrow, you now are responsible. Somebody's responsible. In other words, and let's make it us, for example. Like what would happen if there was a penalty? For, for, for putting up something false or, or inflammatory or conspiracy theory. Like, if it was proven to be a conspiracy theory, what happens? What would happen if there was a, a, a real penalty for that? Would we change our behavior? Yes. Or, you know, I think, yes. I think the answer to that is yes. Yes, I think so. Well, I had a conversation with one of my friends about um, uh, universal vote, voting in Australia. It's like, why can't everyone in the United States have a vote? Like, because there's so many people that are disqualified from voting. Uh, you don't get an opportunity to vote. Why? And and are people that just don't vote at all? Well, everybody should vote because you are a citizen. We talked about I don't know what it is. Australia has ninety percent or something voting because there's a small penalty if you don't vote. A small penalty went a long way to get people to vote. Yeah, I think the same thing could happen on a a social platform, if you will. The but I I, I want to throw this out because it's just interesting. Facebook. It reacts differently to different types of things. So uh, my wife put a, an exercise bike on, this is a, a month ago or so, on Facebook Marketplace. Filled all the information on it, whatever, put it on. And before it went live, somebody checked it. Some algorithm checked it, whatever. It didn't go live right away. It took an hour or so for it to go live. Yeah. Why can't that happen with our regular content on Facebook, which immediately goes live, even if it's, the most insidious thing ever, and it's not true. Right. That's right. So Facebook, yes. First of all, we, well, they've already nobody proven was, that they nobody can do was it. ever taught how to do social media the right way. We just all just did it. That's right. And this happens. But the other thing is, there are bad actors. There are bots. Yep. There are people involved in this. A lot that would fix it if human if humans are not going to fix their own behavior is the Facebook just put put a pause on it. And you can check those. They have enough AI tools that they can check some of them and say, you got to wait five or 10 minutes just to make sure that this thing that you're spreading isn't false. That's right. 
and they've already shown that they can do it. That yes. you know, this week, literally, the 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 news about you know Hunter Biden and all that stuff that came out of the New York Post. They're all Twitter, both Twitter and Facebook are showing that they have the technology, the technological capability to do that. Because and the email, because the email was was found out to be fake, or what? What was the reason? Well, the story is still evolving as we as we record this, but in in large part, it seems really sketchy. The story because the email came, came of, from a Gmail address that. <laughs> yeah, right, yes, right. Yes, there's, I am there's an a exec, lot. I am an executive, at, right. uh, with, yes. and I'm and, uh, I'm uh, Jim at prodigy.net. <laughs> yes, and I'm a and I'm a world class spy, but yet I dropped my laptop off at the local, you know, <laughs> fix it shop because it had water damage. Right? Yeah, oh, I, you know, shoot. I mean, yes, I mean, yes. There's a lot sketchy about this whole thing, but the 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 the, the implication is that they caught it right away, right? They 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 were able to that Facebook and Twitter were able to catch it right away. So people trying to post links to that article were met with a nah this is not right we're you, looking you can't into do it this. yes absolutely and so that same kind of penalty could be just to your point could be applied and it could take a little you know it could you don't get that immediate gratification but that you know either of those options right in other words making facebook you know add a layer in of responsibility in other words saying that facebook is responsible in the same way by the way in the same way that mainstream media television is responsible for what goes out over its air, right? You know, the, the thing that we have to recognize that is as, as we have become the media, as the, we, I mean, meaning we, the people, we, the consumers have become the media, um, in many ways. And, you know, just the data shows this, right. You know, when, you know, the number of people that get their news off of Facebook and Twitter and actually use it as a source of, their their news as we've become the media that means we have the same responsibilities that we have historically put upon the media um and you know those there are fcc regulations there are you know basically prohibitions that are put in place on television and radio and print about what can be done in mass media what and and those same restrictions do not apply to social media because we have decided at some point sort of by default that well because we're doing it because it's the freedom of speech quote unquote that it those same regulations don't apply yes they do yes they should and so that would be a huge cost to facebook but it would be a right-sizing cost to a facebook or a twitter that would that would actually make it much you know much safer for for the well i i love i love your whole penalty idea i know about 10 people right now that would have to go in the hole for a while because because they're sharing uh things that just aren't true the 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 question and let's go back to the yelp article is that who's who becomes the arbiter of truth right that's you giving us the facebook in this case it's yelp which by the way i think their initiative is you know you get that that red badge on your site that's a bad that's a bad thing, and they probably will get it right m- most of the time, but there's going to be cases that it's it's not the right thing to do for Yelp to do. There's maybe one complaint that wasn't right or something, so that, again, does this give somebody like Yelp too much power to say, yep, that's a good business, like almost like the Better Business Bureau, but you somebody didn't do enough research. So that's how much right. research and- are they going to do behind this is, I think, critical. Yeah, well, and let's just be frank that um, Yelp has does not have the best historical record on that's true. you know on how it deals with small businesses and the rankings and all of that. There are plenty of horror stories about how bad ratings are assigned to small businesses, and then when the companies try and fight that, that Yelp goes, well, you know, if you pay a little bit of money, you can get you know you can get out of jail, and 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 so. This is just yet another to me, you know, if I put on my cynicism hat for a moment, this is Yelp going, Ooh, here's another, here's another product that we can make money off of. Because if, you know, if somebody, if, if somebody gets accused of this, you know, if there's a, you know, enough people that look at a, look at a restaurant or a store or whatever and go, let's, let's nail them to the wall innocently or otherwise, and so they get that badge that says, you know, this business is now racist. Well, 
how do they get out of jail or do they get out of jail ever? Or, or, you know, or, or do they call Yelp and say, you know, for a fee, you can pay your way out, you know? And, and so it's getting murky. It gets real murky. It gets real murky really fast, you know, because again, it's not the platform. It's how we use the platform. And that, you know, you know, as was made clear in the social dilemma, we are the product, you know, this is the, this is the classic, media company model and and as a business model it works wonderfully it has for a hundred years worked wonderfully you know having your audience be your product and selling you know as a media executive put it we don't sell the content we sell act we sell the the people who access the content and you know that's the that's the advertising sponsorship revenue model that's been there for you know so we are the product there and so they are incented to manipulate our behavior in a way that utilizes their product more Mm -hmm. frequently and 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 by the way and this will end it on this because uh, unless you want to go another 50 minutes talking about the browns (laughs) right yeah yeah, the, the the issue is is that the platforms that really get themselves in trouble with this that are always in the news are almost a hundred percent advertising. That's right. Generated business, of course. Advertising. Look, I, I'm not against advertising. Be, by the way, that would be the other thing that solves this: is making Facebook a subscription service, That's right. not, a, which, not an advertising service. Which I would be all for, and I would pay same for. Here. I wish every, and I the same with Twitter. By the way, I would absolutely like that to be the case because as much as as I've been involved in advertising businesses in my. 20 plus years in this business, I think advertising is the devil and nobody will convince me otherwise. <laughs> it just, <laughs> well, I still use advertising. Don't get me wrong. I still use advertising, but when the majority of your revenues are advertising based, you get into some really sticky yeah. ethical situations. You just you do. do. Done. Yeah. 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 All right. Yeah. Well, speaking of advertising, we we should talk about our sponsor. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, proud to promote. <laughs> How did we do that? That's right. Look it. Look it. We <laughs> look it. 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 Uh, we just talked for 15 minutes about how great content marketing world was. If you That's had right. major major FOMO, if you missed you would, it, if you missed it, you can still get the majority of these sessions. I get your virtual pass. Go to contentmarketingworld.com and pick up a virtual pass. You can get, you can see uh, Robert's keynote. You can see my keynote. Keynote. You can see Drew Davis's keynote. You can see Ann Hanley's keynote. You can see all amazing these amazing Q and A's that Robert's involved in, and like a hundred other sessions or something. Yeah, for just about oh, every yeah. industry. There's so much content. So so much. All it has all the contents. All Hashtag. the contents. So go to contentmarketingworld.com, and that's our advertisement. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Uh, look, now it is time for our empirically proven favorite part of the show, ladies and gentlemen. It is our rants and rave section where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave that makes us feel like we either have a fly in our head or we are, uh, you know, not in the debate at all. <laughs> so uh, I w- let me go quickly here. I have a I'll, I'll go first. How okay, about that? You go. You go. First. Um, do you, do, I have, do your are you going to do your Jeff Goldblum impression like Jim Carrey did on SNL? Uh, you know, life, uh, uh, now I don't do a Jeff Goldblum impression. I, I wish I did. I, you know, uh, I, 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 I nah, see on the spot. I can't do it. I could probably okay, work well, on well, it. I can yeah, work on a I Goldblum. Mean, yeah. Yeah. You can't, I mean, you could always just break out your Sean Connery and do it that way, but you know, we will, <laughs> we can, we can quibber, 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 quibber. All right. It's our qu- <laughs> it's quibber update. Um, yeah, we do have a quibby update. Um, basically this comes to us courtesy of Gizmodo. Uh, and, uh, the headline is perfect. Apple, like the rest of us, does not want to pay for Quibi. Um, so this is, <laughs> it's just great. That's a great um, headline. Yeah. So they are not only not going to acquire Disney, they are not going to acquire Quibi. Um, the way the article opens is this Quibi, 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 whatever will happen to you. <laughs> no viewers want to pay for you. And now it seems not even Apple, a company very keen to jumpstart its own streaming is not interested either. Um, according to the information, Quibi founder Jeffrey Katzenberg pitched Apple's Eddie Q, vice president of software and services on buying the service only to be rebuffed. Why does anybody want Quibi? Well, 
The information reports note that the company doesn't permanently own the content on the service in order to convince celebrities and high-profile producers to make videos for an untested, unproven concept. Quibi signed licensing deals that allow ownership to return to the creators then to sell to other streaming services after a short period. They buried the lead there. That is the lead. That is, I did not know that. And I think that is fascinating. Repeat that That, for everyone to hear. Yeah, basically, Quibi does not own the content on the service. In other words, when it goes out and gets all these top-notch celebrities, and you've seen them. I mean, there's been great celebrities creating awesome content for the service. They're not buying the content. That is unlike everybody else you see. That is unlike Netflix. That is unlike Amazon. That is unlike Disney. Yep. That is unlike they own you when they make when they. So what? They, what is what would be the value of Quibi? None. Zero. There's zero value. Zero value. Basically, just the agreement, the licensing agreements to use the content. Which I mean, I'm sure they had in their, Yeah, I'm sure they had in their plans to create original programming that would that they would own. Um, probably after they got enough viable. But basically, these licensing deals mean that all these actors and directors and everybody, they own the content, and they'll, there's no reason, there's nothing to sell. There's, there's nothing to sell. Unbelievable. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's a, Quibi, you've done it again. You, you, you Quibi, mistake Quibi, Quibi, Quibi. after mistake. Yeah. Wow. Um, I have a very quick rant. Um, my quick rant here is uh, courtesy of Adweek. It was a story that came out this week, and it was about Kraft macaroni and cheese. They had I don't did you see this? It was very I thought no. very cute. It was no. they they did a thing. Um, uh, they had this little campaign called Send Nudes, um, and it was nudes N O O D S. So they were basically send noodles, and they did a little campaign with a TV flight, um, basically where um, I can't remember her name, but she's from Saturday Night Live. And she basically walks through going, you know, we want to send nudes. And it was basically send people Kraft macaroni and cheese because we're in hard times and it's so hard to be holed up with COVID. And she's like, and as soon as she says send nudes, she realizes what she said. And she said, no, don't send nudes, send nudes. No, I want to be clear. Don't send nudes. I want you to send nudes, which are noodles. It's funny. It's cute. It's so innocent. And apparently, the again, the, the power of the mob uh, sort of took over and said that they have now sexualized macaroni and cheese and, and basically accused the brand of being predatory toward children and have now, and so Kraft has now pulled the campaign. I just thought that was ridiculous. Come um, on. This is why we can't have nice things. Um, oh, anyway, geez. so yeah, it's silly. We'll link it. You can make your own determination of whether I'm not being sensitive enough or whether I, the, the we're being a little too sensitive there. But yeah, I, 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 I thought it was a little nutty. Um, anyway, uh, my rave very quickly here is, so we just finished Content Marketing World and one of the nominees for Content Marketer of the Year uh, on the B2C side was Jay Curley who is the global head of integrated marketing at Ben and Jerry's. And I just wanted to give it a shout out because I absolutely love this story. And I actually plan to do some writing on it because what they did, and I'll do it very, very quickly here. Basically the campaign that they talked about was getting uh, Ben and Jerry, the founders of the company more involved in politics and social issues and all sorts of things. Right. So they're well known for this. They're doing all sorts of content on, you know, voting and democracy and diversity and all sorts of things, right? You know, in terms of what they're what they're up to. And Jake Hurley, the global head of integrated marketing, is a big part of that. One of the and this is my this is my rave. The one of the ways that they measure it, and he talks about it in the case study for the the B two C um, content marketer of the year, is they measure it based on how it doesn't affect sales. In other words, they create all this content, and one of the things, their goals, the things that they strive for, is for it not to affect sales. And if they don't affect sales in a negative way, they view it as a success. I just love that. I absolutely adore that. 
as a, as a goal, right? You want to create all this wonderful content that does amazing things and furthers the culture and lets the founders be the founders. Let, you know, let, you know, let Bartlett be Bartlett and basically measure it by how it doesn't negatively impact your brand or your sales. And I think I just love that. And I wanted to rave about it and I'm going to do some writing on it because I just think it's wonderful. Oh yeah. I want to hear the results about that. That's yeah. That would yeah. be fantastic. Yeah. You, Wait. sir. Yes. Well, you gave me 20 seconds, so I'm just kidding. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. No, you're fine. Those were all very, very interesting. The only, I just have a, a quick, well, I have two quick raves. The first one is yesterday I got my Amazon print catalog in all its gloriousness. I just love the fact that Amazon, you know, the largest digital company on the planet, sends me something in print. It includes lots of interactive things like, you know, draw, make your list and draw things into the snow globe. I mean, come on. Folks, print is still around. It's very useful. And if Amazon's using it, we should you know, look at it as well as a possible marketing initiative, maybe. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, yeah. The, uh, the second thing is, uh, this is according to TechCrunch. It says, with thousands of subscribers, the juggernaut raises $2 million for a South Asian-focused news outlet. That's not the rave. The rave is the fact that these email newsletters... I've, I've never seen email newsletters like this be so popular, but they're these really long form e-newsletters. And the one thing that I wanted to read was, it says, the juggernaut is looking to build up its subscriber base by writing stories that require deep creative thinking. The publication intentionally does not cover commoditized breaking news, which could have the potential to bring in more inbound traffic or anything that, that, do, that does that does not have a South Asian connection. The point is, is that sometimes they're saying we don't want all this other traffic. We want the right kind of traffic and we're going to focus on long form, thoughtful stories to get that traffic. And I think that's the the thing that you were seeing more like I, I read the morning brew now, which is a great publication. A lot of these stories are much longer. Their emails in and of themselves could be read without clicking on anything and that's what i've been telling people that do e-newsletters forever is you not it's we're done with the days of here's the title and abstract and click over if you have an email offering it i think all the content needs to be in the email that's oh, interesting yep yeah that's that's i think what we're seeing so all these email offerings are going that way they charge by the way juggernaut is 3.99 a month these things and these things are taking off and you're seeing with substack uh, an email um, marketing tool that it's a free service, but as you start building up a subscription base, you can charge $5 a month or $10 a month or something like that. It's really starting to take off, especially with former journalists. So I just like the way, I mean, who knows what the, the next thing is going to be, but I like the fact that e-newsletters are not going away. If anything, they're making a comeback. So there you go. Fantastic. Yeah, yep. I love it. Yep. Yeah, it's 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 absolutely. I mean, we're seeing the same thing. It's it's just such a fantastic, um, a new a, well, not a new trend, but a, 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 a an old a, new a yet, trend. Yes. Yeah, I guess an acceleration of an old trend, right? You know. Yep. So here we here we go again. Um, all right. Well, uh, what's so it's a content marketing world's over. What's next for you this well, the next week? That's funny you ask. Believe it or not. It, the day I turn in my manuscript for Content Inc., dun, the dun, second dun. version. So after we're done with this, I have about six hours that I need to put the final touches on this bad boy. And uh, the release date right now is May 25th, 2021. So, Woo. And, uh, so yeah, I'm very excited about it, especially because I've added in, we were talking about it before the show, I've added in all these financial and valuation models and how to sell your content asset and things that I wasn't able to do the, the first edition. So fairly excited about that. So, and you, sir, now are you, uh, are you going to rest for a week or no, 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 I, I no no, no laurels for me. Um, uh, we are in the midst of a few big client projects that we're working on. Um, which are going very well and happy to have those. Um, also trying to get some writing done now that, um, now that the basic, you know, chaos of content marketing world is over back to some longer focused writing projects, but, uh, and then hopefully watching, you know, watching a little football and, uh, yeah, know. Sunday, big day for yeah. both of us. So yeah, exactly. There you go. Good. Exactly. Good, good, good. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Well, that is it. That is it for episode number 247. We're going to sign off. And if you like this episode, 
in its all glory and its length, <laughs> we want you to do two very specific things. We're asking just for very two specific things. Um, one, go to iTunes and give us a review, a nice review, a review that's, you know, we want to play with their algorithm a little bit. Um, and then the second is share it with a friend. Share this old marketing with a friend. Um, we have uh, lots of big goals for this show, especially in the coming year of 2021. And we have uh, we have lots of big plans for this. And so hopefully we can build, a, you know, a bigger audience and uh, a more valuable audience and you People are really what keep this whole thing going, and we're so, so grateful for you. Uh, if you're new to the show, we publish twice a month, or basically every other week, um, and with some special episodes thrown in there. But in the meantime, if you're looking for anything um, more about Mr. Joe Polizzi, you can get that at joepolizzi.com. He's got an amazing newsletter there called The Random that I highly, highly recommend you subscribe to, and it is indeed random, but nice, <laughs> wonderful things, but random nonetheless. Um, and of course, if you're interested in more content strategy, content marketing, more sort of uh, geeky stuff that uh, you can find at my website, which of course is contentadvisory.net. Of course, give us the story ideas. We love those story ideas. Hashtag us up on the social media. Everything we talked about today will be linked in the show notes that we'll publish right after publication. And in the meantime, till we see you, remember, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. See you in a couple of weeks on This Old Marketing. 